with what we are doing in high school esports, we are losing out on a much grander opportunity to engage our kids beyond the game itself. And I know with NACEF, you have done a lot of work with UCI and, and, and research to kind of push that idea as well, too, of moving beyond the game. So we can formally start our panel because we haven't even done introductions yet. Oh, um, so that's a story. <laughs> so I was so ready. Uh, so um, we'll start with you, Jim. Okay. So my name is uh, James O'Hagan or Jim O'Hagan, if you wish. I, I answered all of it. James, Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy O. Uh, esports czar is how I come to being known now in the Racine Unified School District because I oversee five high school esports programs. I'm not. I'm the director of digital virtual learning for the Racine Unified School District. The athletic director is like. I tried to explain to him what esports is, and he started to immediately glass over, and I could tell that I was talking to somebody who was very much a football person. So I was like, okay, I got this, just let me handle it. Um, I'm also a PhD student at Northern Illinois University in the field of instructional technology and design. I'm everything but dissertation, yay. And, uh, and I've been uh, doing this now with the Racine Unified School District for since I got there, so this is my fifth year. And, but my start, an official start, kind of going back to your earlier question, how long have you been involved with this? Is six years. So I started this in the Rockford Public Schools, and I saw Kurt Melcher wandering around. And the great thing, I, I went to Kurt and I said, I said to him today, I said, you know, I wouldn't be here today if you hadn't done what you did at Robert Morris University. Because what happened at Robert Morris University was heard about in Rockford, Illinois, which is about an hour west. And it was one of those chance conversations where I ran into my superintendent that day, assistant superintendent, he goes, hey, I saw this thing on 60 Minutes, they're doing it at Robert Morris University in Chicago, why are we doing that? And it's like kid in a candy store when you hear things like that. It's like, oh, I can make that happen, sure, we can absolutely do that. And so that's my background. And Sam, you've, I've known you professionally uh, for, I think, three years now? Yeah, three, three years. So, yeah. uh, my name is Samantha Anton. I am Chief Operating Officer for the North America Scholastic Esports Federation, um, who I'm very lucky to have so many of my team members here with me today. So I might look over and just make sure sometimes that I'm saying the right thing. But um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I have been in, knee deep in this work for the last several years. And we start off with our Orange County High School Esports League. And it's been insane to see um, just the, the amount of growth that's happened in this space. Um, when I first took on this position, when, when it was just a pilot, I really thought it was a one-time thing that I was gonna you know, jump into. Uh, you know, let's explore this, let's see what we're gonna learn. Never did I think that it was gonna become what it has. Um, and never did I think I would be able to work with schools in Canada and in the East Coast and in the Midwest. Um, and so, so yeah, so this, this space has grown a lot, but then we, when we think about high school esports and we talk, think about the history of it, it's a really difficult thing to track. Um, because, and, and it's the same thing with collegiate esports. I think we can say, you know, in 1982, that's when the first, uh, first official collegiate esports event happened at Stanford, right? But it could have been a lot earlier than that. And, and the, the community work that's been happening has been really important um, to, to just the growth of it, but it's so hard to trace it and to think about when it actually started. So I kind of want to start on that topic of when did high school esports start, and what is high school esports when we talk about when it started? Well, in my experience, we, we started with the Rockford Public Schools in 2015. Now, I had not heard of any other official varsity level esports experiences. A quick story on that, so continuing on, Robert Morris did this thing, 
And I went to our athletic director, his name is Matt Parker, in Rockford Public Schools, and he's still there today. Matt is an amazing guy. One of his goals is he wants to make sure that there's something for every child to do in the district. Because we know when we get kids involved in after-school activities or extracurriculars, GPAs goes up, attendance goes up, and that, that triggers a whole lot of other things, graduation rates increase, things of that nature. And um, when we did it, you know, Rockford took a bold step several years ago, and there was an ESPN Outside the Lines uh, special, both before and after, because they came back and looked at the data. But Rockford did this thing where they said, we're gonna do away with GPA requirements for our high school athletes. We would rather keep kids on teams then kick them off teams and send them back to the streets. If you don't know anything about Rockford, Illinois, it has historically in the recent years been near the tops of one of the most violent cities in the United States. And they found that they were kicking kids off teams, kids were failing out of school, uh, teams were not able to be, um, not able to even run. I mean, I remember one year Jefferson High School had to forfeit their varsity football season towards the end because they were considering pulling up freshman kids and they didn't want them getting hurt. And so um, what Matt said is, if we can keep the kids engaged, keep them part of something, then we know we've got them and they're not gonna be lost to the streets. And so when we, when we launched our eSports program, we were a varsity, we came out as varsity. Matt said, we're gonna make this varsity level sport. I don't care what the rest of the state does around this. In Rockford, it's gonna be varsity level. That was an important part of the story. I don't know if we were the first varsity team. I mean, we put actual district resources around actually buying just esports specific machines. We, we didn't have an official arena, but we were using our library and our study rooms and our library as our arena spaces, if you will. There's other people who have made claims. Uh, the first varsity this, or the first varsity that, or the first this, or the first that. And unless you're absolutely definitive, there's reasons why, again, like with our program, I take, I take offense sometimes when people say that just so flippantly, because I know what we were doing, it was purposeful around protecting kids and keeping them off the streets. We were doing it for a much bigger reason than just saying we were varsity out of pride. But there's, it's, the, the, the history has, has now morphed, and it is, there's this sudden rush, I guess you could say. And I don't know if you guys are seeing the rush, because I'm sure your organization is contacted quite frequently um, about how do I get a team started? I have to get it going tomorrow. You know, how do we get in? What do I got to do? So, um, I guess it, what's been the history with NASEP? Because I know you started Orange County, and now it has become this national organization. Yeah, I think you know, I think in the 2010s, that's really when you see the impact of organized play with high school esports, where you have you know high school star league later on high school esports league and the like, start to pop up and, and create organized competitions for high school students, friends, whatever they are, to compete against each other in a common game and, and have a, some you know, prize at the end of it. When we started with um, the Orange County High School Esports League, really it was about how we can use this tournament as a tool for learning. So you can't, unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's unfortunately, but um, you can't have high school esports without that level of, of competition, without the league, without the tournament. And so, as so, so I much, disagree, but go on. Well, yeah, but so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting um, question because 
you need the competition to get the students sometimes. Like, if we didn't have a League of Legends tournament with the Orange County High School Esports League, let's say we had a game that no one played, we wouldn't have had 400 students participate. We wouldn't have had 25 schools sign up, you know, within a month. Even when we're still building the plane while we're flying it, they're, you know, they're buying tickets to the Spirit Airlines uh, and end up with first class tickets, I'd like to think. Um, but without without that organized play, it's it's difficult to even use esports as a tool for learning because that gives so much of the, the content, I guess we could call it. Um, but, but we started off with, with that just that League of Legends tournament, and from there we did some Saturday Academy workshops where they learned how to build PCs, and then the next week they learned how to use their improve their game using data, and then the week after that they were learning how to organize tournaments. And what's interesting about those Saturday uh, workshops is that every week a couple more students would come with their friends, and then the next week more students would come with their friends. And not every one of those students that were coming after that first week were in the tournament. They weren't necessarily even playing League of Legends sometimes, and they weren't even necessarily interested in being a competitive player. But then you see this turn into a social activity where they're all learning. Afterwards, they can play whatever the game they want in the UCI Esports Arena and have some fun. And it was exciting to see. But without, that, without those core students in the beginning, without that tournament, I don't know if we necessarily would be able to, to use it as a tool that much. I think the explosion has started to come now because there's a lot of people who realize that you don't, especially as educators, teachers don't like to be the most knowledgeable person in the room, traditionally. They don't like to feel uneducated about something. Like if, if, I, if somebody came to me and said, hey, would you want to teach an automotive class? Uh, I would struggle because I, I cannot do hardly anything on a car. So you, you've got now, I think that there's educators, and there's resources, for example, like through your organization, but there's other educators now who have been in this space who said the beauty of this and the history that I think has evolved in the next last few years is we didn't have to have that one teacher who's a gaming geek to head this up. Um, I think it was very important that NASEF started using the term general manager as opposed to a coach. I think the mindset for a coach, when I, in fact, I told my own people, I call them general managers, we use that term specifically because I said, chances are your captains are going to have more knowledge about the game than you are and you need to listen to your captains. That's a flip of the script. That's not traditional classroom stuff that's happening at all. And I think that's, for some, for some educators, that's intimidating. But for some, some educators now, they see such value in this that they're willing to take that step and not be the expert in the room. And that's an important... I guess evolution in this history of esports, and I think that's why now you're starting to see a lot more schools and a lot more educators jump into this space. I've got 13 general managers right now for five high school teams. If I had said you had to be a content expert of the games, I would have none, because none of them are content experts in the game at all. So it's been a major shift to do that. And like I said, when you say general manager, now they're thinking, okay, I gotta make sure practices happen, I'm gonna keep data on, on who's coming and all this other stuff, and I'm gonna let the captains and the coaches, the captains and the other kids who are coaching take care of all that. So it's been a, that's been a major shift. It's hard for schools to accept that. Yeah, and, and with NISEF, we also saw a shift like that, or intent produced a shift, um, where after our pilot program, um, luckily we are, um, we have the great opportunity to be studied by Dr. Constantine Cooler at her lab and have them conduct official research on the work that we're doing. So after that first year, um, we were advised that, you know, 
you have the teams doing all these great things, but you're actually missing a, a whole group of students that are doing other, that are fulfilling other roles in their in their high schools that aren't on the competing team. They're being casters. They're producing the streams. They are the graphic designers. We looked at that, and then we also received news that the biggest um, impact that we were having on these students wasn't actually you know tech or STEM or any of those that you would expect. It was social emotional learning. So how do we shift our model of being team game first um, and then changing that so that we can capitalize on the impact of social emotional learning but also give more opportunities for the other students that were in that club. So that's when we shifted to the club model um, and, and picked up the term general manager so that we can kind of set the context of what's happening on their campuses that it's so much more than you are competing on a varsity team. You likely are competing on a varsity or have varsity teams that are competing in official leagues. They might be in ASEPS leagues, they might be any of the dozens Wisconsin of Wisconsin High School that, Sports Association. <laughs> <laughs> I heard of that one. Yes. Um, but, but how do we now focus this around the development of the student and what does the development of the student look like and what, what are we trying to accomplish at the end of this? So. I know that, and this is a term that I've begun using, and I wish that more people would adopt this, because again, I think the use of general manager has been a very important, just, we, 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 words matter. And I think our common language is very important, that we, we, are, we are consistent in how we are using certain terms. I don't refer to my kids as esports athletes, because when we, when we focus on that term esports athlete, because people, first of all, when I used, started using that term, people got mad especially like traditional athletic directors would get really oddly mad about a term like that, and I couldn't figure out why. The term that I use, though, it, for, to describe our students and the experience that I want them to have, especially when we build around that UCI model of the, that esports ecosystem, if you want to call it that. If you haven't seen the photo, we should, actually that should be up on the screen right now. They, they, no, 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 don't get up, don't get up. They can look it up on their phones, it's fine. Go to, the, go to the, if you're looking for it, uh, use uh, the um, uh, NASA website, uh, the parent portal. Uh, if you look at the parent site, it's got the image right there. But the term that encompasses all that, I prefer to call my kids scholar gamers. And scholar gamers encompasses things like shoutcasting. And, because for a lot of these roles, one season the child may be a shoutcaster, for another season they may be a smash player. For one season they may be a coach, and for one season they may be, or they may be a participant. They may be doing, um, we, have a, we have a fantastic partnership now with the Racine County Eye newspaper in Racine, Wisconsin. And one of the things that we're really proud of with that, that start of a, of a partnership is that kids are being asked to participate in journalistic activities with an official newspaper. And that's huge because the, the, the journalist came to us and goes, I wanna cover your, your Overwatch matches, but I don't know the game. And I'm like, well, it just so happens I have 200 kids who know the game and they're happy to help with the, with the story around that. And so we're starting a series of stories based around not just the gameplay, but also their experiences. And so having that scholar gamer idea and ideal, and I talk about this a lot, is, is so, it, again, it's so much more. It is all about redefining athletic culture and diversifying opportunities for student participation and good positive mental and physical health and you know, increasing the career and collegiate scholarship pathways. And really what it also comes down to, and the thing that we in schools have done a horrible job of, and, and I'll, I'll give you the historical context. 9-11 happened, 
in 2001. A couple weeks later, something else happened that was earth shaking for us in schools, and a lot of people didn't realize it happened, or they did, but it wasn't talked about, was uh, No Child Left Behind. And I see nodding heads. No Child Left Behind happened, and what did we all do, educators who were there? We freaked out. Okay, we, first our schools freaked out because we were told if you don't get your scores up, if you don't do this or X or Y or Z, we're going to shut your school down and we're going to replace you with different teachers. I don't know where all these magical new teachers were going to come from, but what that led us to was high stakes testing. That led us to taking arts and music out of schools and play. We, took, we, don't, we don't do a good job in school of honoring the importance of play. And we expect play, in, as adults, we, we recognize what we thought play is, but when you look at it through a child's eyes nowadays, play is a completely different space. Play is a completely different medium. I had a conversation with a gentleman who asked me, um, he goes, I don't get how kids can sit there and watch them, somebody else play a video game for several hours. And I said, Dave, I said, I asked you about what you did last weekend, and you told me you were in Vegas at a sports book watching football all weekend. I said, what makes your watching grown men throw a football around any different than a child who wants to watch somebody playing Overwatch or Smash Brothers or Fortnite or any of those other games? And so, I don't know where I'm going with this, because <laughs> I, I feel like I'm starting to, to preach to the room. But what, what I guess what I'm getting at is, we need to, we, that scholar gamer concept is really, I think at the core of it is honoring the importance of play and, and all the things that come with it and how you want to express that play and share your play experiences. There's nothing I saw that was greater than when uh, a group of kids, I approached them and I said, hey, the public library is getting gaming laptops. We, we're making a big push in our public library system to bring gaming into, into our public library. I said, would you like to, I said, I was just spitballing. I said, how would you like to just teach a bunch of senior citizens how to play Overwatch? Those kids exploded with enthusiasm. It was like I let off an enthusiasm bomb. They want to share their play experience with other people. They don't want to just do it by themselves. This is not, what we're talking about with esports is not antisocial. It is not in the bedrooms. Ironically, yes, our, our teams participate in a space called Not Your Parents' Basement. Um, but uh, it's a great name. And if you, if you ever come down to Racine, I would love to take any, anybody who comes into the Midwest, stop on through, I'm happy to take you there. Um, but they want to share these play experiences. I think that's been the biggest thing. Again, that scholar gamer concept, really. And, and what's great is now, I refer to the kids as that. The GMs refer to the kids as scholar games, and now they're calling themselves that. And they see that it is so much more than just an esports athlete. So, the title of our panel, our two person panel, is High Schoolers versus State of the Union. Yes. But I think, how, how can we talk about the State of the Union when we do have these different moving parts that are happening across high school esports if it's an umbrella, right? We have the organized play. Mm -hmm. Then we have the Scholar Gamer Scholastic Esports push, uh, Esports EDU, kind of are all within the same realm. And then you also have just like the education curriculum push on its own. So when we talk about the state of high school esports, how would you, I will have you answer first, uh, take that on? So, my biggest, a quote that I always lead off on my talks with is, you are forever responsible for what you obtained. You are forever responsible for what you have tamed. That story, that quote comes from the book The Little Prince. And in the book The Little Prince, if you haven't read it, it's not in a long book. Take, take 30 minutes and read it. Um, there's the little prince is, he lives on a planet, small planet, and he's got he's been taking care of a rose. 
And at some point he's just looking and he's like, I'm totally done with this. Like I am sick and tired of taking care of this rose. And this fox, who's his friend, sits next to him and tells him you are forever responsible for what you obtained. You have taken care of that rose, you need to continue to take care of that rose. What we have right now in the state of high school esports that I'm seeing at least, especially at my association level in the state of Wisconsin, is we have a lot of people with all of the best of intentions who have made this panicked rush to implementation because there's this fear of missing out, this FOMO, whatever you want to call it, and who want to get, they know that this is good for kids, and they're trying to set up esports programs and launch them in like two weeks. And the things that I tell people is like, you know, pump your brakes, let's take a second, let's step, let's step back. The rush implementation can be very damaging. If you start your esports experience without things that were talked about today, like a code of conduct, without deciding what you want your teams to even look like. Do you want your teams to be representative of your school's diverse culture, or are you just gonna get the kids who just wanna play the game? Uh, what games are you going to play? What associate are you gonna play with? There's, there's, there's so many other questions than just putting a piece of software in and saying, okay, now go play. I don't, we would never coach a basketball team like that. We would never coach a football team like that. We would, there's a lot of things we wouldn't do in schools in that way, but for some reason there's this, this thing like, okay, as long as we get the games on the computer, we're good to go. And then if you're doing that, again, you're forever responsible for what you've obtained. If you start off with that experience being, we're just gonna focus on the games, your esports team is gonna have, you know, a few kids. You'd be able to run a team probably every year. But what, what long-term impacts is that gonna make? This is more than software. This is more than keeping track of scores. This is way more than, than, um, than what a lot of people will tell you what high school esports is. High school esports could, could, could exist, and now you talked about the whole tournament structure. I could make high school esports exist just in my school district. I could make high school esports exist just in my school. I don't have to coordinate with everybody else. We could set up our own teams and run our own games and shoutcast and everything else that we, we hope that and want our students to be part of, our scholar gamers. Um, I, I, the fear of missing out has people, I think, turning to groups and organizations that don't necessarily meet educational needs of your students properly. Because again, there's this fear of missing out. There's, uh, esports should never be a turnkey solution. Esports should never be something that I just walk in and say, here you go, here's esports, and walk out. It's got, it, again, there's, the way I always start a conversation with a school that says, I want to get into esports. I go, cool, what are your strategic goals? And when I start with a school's strategic goals, every school's got very different strategic goals. The strategic goals I haven't seen are gonna vary greatly from what are probably gonna be seen around here. You know, the, the old adage is, what's good in Alaska isn't good in Florida, kind of thing. Um, so when I look at the strategic goals, what I will, with the way I'll usually attack it is I'll say, okay, give me your strategic goals. I'm gonna write a short paragraph about how esports meets every one of your strategic goals, and that's where we start to build. Because the strategic goals are getting at those kids who are who are usually not being successful in some way. Those are the kids that, that need the most pull and the most push. And then you start to build your esports program around that. Never am I starting with a boxed, like, thing, hey, we're gonna play Smite, we're gonna play League of Legends, and we're gonna play this and that. Never. I would never ever tell anybody to do that. So um, I guess the state right now is, again, because of that fear of missing out, because of that rush to implementation, there are people who are turning to places that are not made up of educators, that don't have educational needs at heart, and are profit-driven. And I'm very concerned about that. I honestly am very concerned about that. 
So if we were to have a conversation about who whose responsibility is, is it to be that person that is kind of advising these schools before they jump into something too fast or, you know, one thing that we've, we've talked about, at least with amongst my groups, is what role does the U.S. Department of Education play, at least on the United States level, or even individual state Department of Educations in this? Because it's, it's a tricky line between education and also just extracurricular activities that students want to be a part of. I think, I think there is a place in high school esports for there to be something that doesn't have anything to do with the schools. You know, maybe there is that group of five students that are, you know, best friends that want to have that external place that they're they're competing on and having something organized, something safe, something exciting to be a part of. Um, so I think there is a role for that. But in the in the just specifically for the schools. Whose responsibility is it? Who needs to be in the room? And, and I think that's kind of where we're at with high school esports. Is we no one really knows who, at the end of the day, has the final stamp to say this is the direction that we need to go on. Yeah, I, I'm in a unique. I, I know that I'm in a unique situation because I've got um, I've got a gaming lounge in town. I've got oversight over five high schools, and I've got carte blanche to basically say yes, I want to do that. And I know that's not what typically a lot of educators have. Educators have to fight a battle up against stereotypes around gaming and gaming culture. Even the kid, I'll tell you, I go speak to a lot of different high schools, even high school students, and I'll ask the question, tell me what a gamer looks like. And it doesn't matter if it's an adult, doesn't matter if it's a high schooler, doesn't matter where I am in the world, in the, in the United States, I've only done this in the United States, I can't say the world. They always say, white, male, stringy hair, skinny, and the diet consists of either pizza, Cheetos, or Doritos, and they're drinking energy drinks, and they exist in their parents' basement, and they're very antisocial. And we don't know those things. None of those things are true. But those are the stereotypes that a lot of educators now are pushing up against. What's good that's happening in education now, I'm 44 years old. I've grown up playing video games. I know that that has not contributed to me in an antisocial way. I know that I have not become more violent because whenever somebody talks about the violence issue, I, will, I, I say this. Uh, because that's always brought up, especially with high school esports. Won't playing these video games make kids more violent. Um, there's two countries in the world that consume video games more than the United States. That's South, South Korea and Japan. Now, if you look at those countries, if you look at those economies, if you look at how the societies are set up, while one is Asia and one is North America, they're still very similar. Highly industrialized, highly educated, access to technology, access to resources, access to guns. Oh, wait, there's one country that has more access to guns than those other two do. But nobody wants to talk about that. When we had the horrible shooting in El Paso, Texas, uh, several months ago, video games was brought up. You know, Donald Trump, our president, stood up and talked about the violent video game culture. And I, I want to make sure I say this correctly. I live. I lived and worked around Chicago for a very long time. Now, those of you who don't know Chicago, Chicago has a crime rate problem. Crime is shootings every day in the city of Chicago. And not once has anybody talked about the crime rate in the inner city of Chicago and said video games is the cause of it. But when it's a white kid in an affluent suburban area who shoots up a school or shoots up a business or something else, guess what? It's video games. You know why? Because what we have done is it, that, that shooting has destroyed the narrative that we have accepted in our heads 
around our, our, our social, our socioeconomic statuses and our, and our races. I don't accept that. No, the kids shot him up because there was something, people talk about Adam Land and, and Sandy Hook, right? Yeah, Adam Land was, was addicted to a game. He was addicted to Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> Those of us who know what Dance Dance Revolution is know that, that that is not a violent video game. And then there's people who talk about addiction. So there's violence and then there's addiction. And addiction, I can tell you, while I believe that yes, there are some kids who are addicted to playing video games, what I will say, what most people see as addiction is actually what's called self-determination theory. They are intrinsically motivated to be part of the game because they feel competent, they feel, they feel a sense of relatedness, they feel a sense of community, and they feel a sense of autonomy. And they wonder, why can't we feel that, why kids don't feel that way in schools? Oh, because they don't feel competent when they walk in the door. They're told they're, they're wrong or they're given red X's or they're, they're talked down to. They don't feel a sense of autonomy because they're told what to do in a classroom and when to do it. And they don't feel a sense of relatedness because they're still to this day told to sit in rows and sit in desks and not talk to your neighbors. Video games allows them the one opportunity that they have in their day to feel a sense of culture, a sense of community, to find their tribe. So yes, they are going to feel that intrinsic motivation. And that's why it's so important for us, especially like I said, the work that your organization does around building that ecosystem is we have now these kids who are so intrinsically motivated. 97% of boys, 83% of girls in teenage years are game players. We don't have numbers like that in anything else that we do. How become schools are not harnessing that intrinsic motivation is beyond me. I want, my dream, if anybody wants to start a school and has a bunch of money, come see me. <laughs> Everybody, kids, kids 20 years ago read about Harry Potter and Hogwarts, and would say to me, God, it'd be so cool to go to that school. A school of wizardry. Where's the school of esports? Where's the school where we set it up and we go, you know what? Uh, yes, we're gonna, it's an esports focused school. Video games, everything. We're gonna talk, like the NASEF curriculum, uh, high school curriculum. I took that four year curriculum and I brought it to my team to do this. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sounds like a problem of success. <laughs> right. But again, I want that, I want that Hogwarts of esports experience. I want to, that's, that's, that's what I want. That's, um, I guess the state of things right now is like, we could have that, or we have so many people who do this poorly that it screws it up for the rest of us. And I worry about that. We, I used to be a tech director for several school districts, and I was, a, I was the one-to-one -one master. I could come in and set up your one-to-one -one program, get it going, and uh, I've done, I've done four one-to-one uh, -one rollouts, MacBooks, iPads, you name it, I've done it. The problem is that a lot of people focused on getting the technology into the hands of kids, and then they would, they would meet their goal on day one. They didn't roll out, and, okay, every kid now has access to technology, now what? And I, what I worry about is the same thing happening here, is there's such a rush to implementation that people are gonna get access to esports and they're not going to see benefits and they're not gonna see growth, they're gonna be pissed because they put all this money into all these resources and nothing has changed. Because again, they're so focused on the games. So, so I kinda wanna shift gears on that note um, because uh, this really is, uh, I would love for this to become an open discussion and, and open up for the audience for not just questions but comments yourselves on what you're seeing um, 
I know that this year's conference had seen a lot of school districts and high school educators in the life register, so we're really excited to that UCI uh, eSports conference is, is turning into that community where this is our convening, right? Where we all come together uh, to be able to have these conversations. So uh, I'm turning it to the audience. Oh yeah, in the very back. Alex? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I work with schools, both high schools and uh, colleges and universities, and is not insignificant minority of those schools are like Christian schools, for example, um, that have a very, you know, theologically rooted or philosophically ethically rooted objection mm -hmm. um, to the binding content of the game. So I'm wondering, as an educator, aside from the sort of social science question about whether there's a correlation between violence and violence, um, what's your sort of stance on uh, violent content represented in the school because I think it's a nuanced issue that is concerning for a lot of Yeah, I, I think the first part of that is um, unfortunately, and, and it may, I know it makes sense, um, but it's the assumption that esports in schools automatically means there's a video game that it has violence associated with it, which is not the case. Um, I think that there's some really great programs out there, in, especially in the U.S., that are using Rocket League and are using NBA 2K and that and Smash Ultimate, and that's the game. Well, I guess some folks will consider Smash Ultimate violent, but I mean, beggars can be choosers, I guess. Um, but 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 um, I think that's part of it. Is you know, if your certain community feels a certain type of way about certain types of games, whether that's coming from the student level, because there's some students out there that don't want to play Overwatch, they don't want to play, uh, you said Smite earlier. Um, so, so I think part of it is working with, between the schools and the students and finding what that balance could look like to, for what an eSports program could look like on their campus. So that's, that's something that I want to throw in there because I think that's part of the difficulty that we have when we, when as NASEF, for example, are trying to bring esports in is because the automatic assumption is, oh my gosh, violence. No one said anything about violence. We're talking about video games and play right now. So I want to throw that at first. The thing I always tell people because I get asked that question a lot is, what about the violent games? And I say, if your school and your school culture is against that, then don't play that game. You don't, you don't have to. This is, this is all about play. And, and, and you can set up your, again, you can do your eSports completely in-house. It can be completely casual. Uh, Jay Collins, if, if you don't know who Jay Collins is, uh, it's letter J Collins, uh, is in Cleveland, Ohio, has worked with the ISTE organization and former people from the Department of Education to set up what's called the Mischief League. If you haven't looked up Mischief League, look up Mischief League. But one of their key tenets of Mischief League is a lot of untraditional games and nonviolent games, non-shooters. There's the, what I think is great about what's happening with the, or the leagues and different groups that are popping up now is that if given the chance, if we have the freedom to choose which organization or league we are a part of, because a lot of it, 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 there's you know there's there's state athletic organizations right now. We're kind of making the choice for us, and that's dangerous. I think that's a huge problem. But I think that if schools have the ability to choose their own leagues, choose their own pathways in esports, um, now what we'll have is, like you said, you know, we have concern about violent games. Cool. There's mischief league. There's a, you know, if you want to, you can you can set up your own rules. You can set it up however you want. Again, that's why I say esports should never be a turnkey solution. 
It shouldn't be something I walk into and like I said, throw eSports at you and I walk out the door and I've made $10,000, $15,000, whatever it is. All right, that, that should never happen, so. Yeah, um, one, one thing that I'm not 100% familiar about but I know that there's been work in it is um, like the modifications to Minecraft to be able to use it in the classroom. And I think that is something that is a potential for the future of what games at high schools can look like when you're playing with esports or participating in esports, I should say. If you, if you um, want any more details on that, I did do my podcast episode on the, so the Academy of Esports podcast. Uh, last episode was with the competitive Minecraft uh, kids. Come on. There's a little asterisk on the program. It's really small, you can't see it, but this is a sponsored uh, session. <laughs> Jim O'Hagan's Academy of Esports. You can check it out online. Um, Fake news. But, uh, but, but I think, uh, I think that um, it'd be very interesting to see game developers start to keep in mind what, what role or what place that their game is going to have in competitive sports Scholastically, specifically. May I be frank for a second? Uh, you're Jim, but yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the Abbott Costello part of the routine. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I publicly posed the question recently to go back to your question about violence in video games. And I wish representatives were here because I publicly asked the question. If Riot's game, if Riot's company culture is so publicly toxic, and imagine if I brought them to school board and said, I want to do business with Riot Games, school board would take two seconds, Google Riot, and go, no, you're not doing business with them. There's no way. The, 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 the public narrative around that is, is very toxic. The other one is what happened with Blizzard the other day. And to me, Video games are political. They are now an equity issue. We have to, because now, not just not for professional reasons, but we have to bring esports into our schools. And I'll tell you the big reason why is that it is um, it is now an issue of access to higher education. In the next several years, a hundred million dollars in potential scholarship opportunities are going to be out there for kids. And so the only way they're going to get access to those scholarship dollars, really, for a lot of them, on an equitable level, is if all schools get involved in esports competition. So this is this is again a political a, a political issue because now if if it's so important that we have our kids playing these games, and if Riot continues and Blizzard continues with what they're doing, what message does that send? If I'm still employing and using their games? when we know that they're going to silence dissent. You know, we're Americans. While I will say ideally and, and romantically, we will say we, we, we export freedom to the world, but we don't always do a good job of that. And we, are, we, we don't put up with, with, with a, a gross um, toxic culture. So, but then, but then the question is, how do we change that toxic culture? Well, is, is if we jump ship every time you know some news comes out about whatever, then where's that conversation that we have to actually address what those concerns are? Well, I still sit in a wait and see, because I know these organizations are made up of people, and they're made up of good people. And there's, while there's bad people too, there by and large, I believe that Riot is made up of good people who. Ultimately, they want to make the best game possible for kids and for people to use. Blizzard, same way. I know that there's a lot of good people at Blizzard. 
And there's a lot of good people in HSEL and Playverse and here at NASEF. I mean, there's a lot of people who have, we, we, while I would say that yes, there's a toxic culture and yes, there's a, this, this thing with Blizzard is, is pretty alarming, I'm not ready to just cut and run. But I hope that these organizations will listen to, especially as we're using it in schools, and say, God, you know, please, you, know, you, you have a bigger responsibility now than what you maybe had a few years ago. This isn't like Atari with Pong, okay? Gaming has social impact. Now, it is, it has come for the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has said, Antonin Scalia, not exactly a, a, a liberal, mind you, Antonin Scalia said, gaming needs to be protected, like video games need to be protected like a First Amendment right. It is a freedom of speech, it is a freedom of expression. This is where our mythology comes from in modern day. These are where our stories are coming from in modern day. We need to protect it as such. And like I, as you said, we can't just walk away. Because for some kids, and for some adults and other people, these games are their mythology. It's their stories. We have to protect as best as we can. So when I call them out, and I ask that question explicitly, why are we playing your games? It isn't to say that I'm ready to cut and run. It's that I'm saying you, you have a social impact now that needs to be honored better than what you're doing. So in reference to opportunities for these high school students, so I'm with Pepperdine and we're just getting involved in competitive esports. So two questions, one from, from the top down, how do you suggest we start learning more about events and recruiting? So knowing what's going on at the high school level, and this is good for us, then from your level up, how, what are you doing in thinking to prepare and engage and show those students what opportunities are at the collegiate level because in regular high school sports, that's a big deal about recruiting, and you know there's companies that do that and match. So how do we come for both ends so we can start finding the right kids and they can find us? If I'm gonna, I'm gonna go first. Okay, so, you're gonna go first. I'm gonna I'm go first. Go. I just feel kind of, like I, I get lost listening <laughs> to Jim sometimes, and so then I forget that I'm also on a panel speaking. So, um, but, I, but one thing I wanna mention about the relationship between high schools and universities um, is it's, it's really dependent on the values of your leadership and what you want that to look like. Um, because I think that there's an opportunity beyond recruiting um, for, for colleges to engage with high schools. Um, we ran a pilot program last year where we had undergraduate students from UCI go out to local Orange County schools and work on their club development. And that's a pilot program that we're reiterating and seeing how we can make that work in a way that um, you know, students aren't constantly having to drive to far locations to these high schools, but, but I think there is a place where that near-peer mentorship and that guidance from someone who is in college can really benefit high school students to think about career opportunities, to think about where they want to end up after they graduate high school, whether it is, you know, at a four-year university, two-year college, or even just working. Um, I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure because it, there is like this pipeline that is being created that, oh, if you participate in high school esports on a team, then you can go on and do collegiate esports and be on a team, and then you can you know, maybe be on a pro team. And it, it doesn't really fit like that because there are just so many variables on what it looks like to participate in high school esports. So I try to think about beyond just the, the players on the teams when I um, answer questions like these because uh, what's really great to see, and, and I think TESPA is the one that has the numbers on this, but to see that a lot of the club presidents on college campuses for the gaming clubs are women. 
And that's something that we need to think about when when we're talking about recruiting or going to college. It's not just you know getting recruited, getting the scholarship, and winning a national championship. It's you're going to college and creating a community for yourself and a place where you belong. Um, so so from a university leadership, you know. What kind of students do you want to bring in? Do you want to have the number one varsity program, but then do you also want to have you know, a really fruitful gaming community, or do you want to have a really great relationship with the tech companies in your local area? There, there's those other lenses to look at it. And then for the high schools, it's about using the universities as a resource for them. So if your local college does have a varsity esports program, and you're a high school that wants to get up and running, who better than those near peer mentors again to come and help support that, or even just to build what that relationship can look like of collaborative events and you know sending the students so they can see what it's like to be a collegiate esports athlete. The um, uh, problem that I've got at the high school level is that there are a ton of small colleges out there now who are looking to recruit kids, and I mean we're not talking a little bit of money; we're talking upwards of twenty thousand dollars a year scholarship. Okay, um, but. You know, the NCAA and how it operates in recruiting have very specific rules. There are not really specific rules right now about how to recruit a kid for high school. Um, there's a young man actually sitting right here. Raise your hand, Harris. All right. Uh, Harris and I chatted uh, not too long ago because he's come up with, a, I think, a really cool, what, there's, there are organizations that do recruiting, like, you, you know, submit your stuff. But it's like going through a third-party organization. Harris, is, Harris actually has what I think would be an excellent um, platform that he's developing right now. It's still in development. But allowing kids to not only start to make connections with colleges, but also to learn more about what, where that college fits in their own personal stakes, in their own personal takes. Um, I, I, I know that uh, my own scholar gamers, they are super enthused at the idea now that they don't have to stay in receipt. And they're, they're, I'm not saying it's a bad thing about, I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing, I'm trying to say it is, for a lot of them, they just saw Gateway or UW Parkside as their only options. And now they see this much bigger world out there. They see this much bigger opportunity um, that has been made available to them now. And when I talked to college coaches, so I interviewed 10 different college coaches, and I said, what are you looking for? They didn't want the best gamer. They wanted a kid who, they wanted, first they wanted diversity. In their, in, in their programs. They didn't want just a bunch of boys. They wanted a little bit of everybody. They wanted um, kids who knew how to act and behave online, especially. They wanted kids who, who didn't have toxic uh, tendencies. And they wanted kids who knew how to work on a team. And, and I think the, the best person who, who um, I talked to about this was Chris Haskell, who runs the Boise State program. Chris is a uh, former music teacher. And he believes in adding chairs. Like you know, if you're if you ever was a if you ever dealt with a band, a high school band, anything like that, band directors are always looking for kids. They'll give the kid a triangle and just say, play the triangle. You know, we, we got to have something for all those kids. We need that triangle for all kids to play too. So we, you know, as you're talking about building your program, you could have a really elite. You could say, we're gonna have a really elite program. Harrisburg University came out and said we're gonna do this very elite program, and they recruit those kids specifically because they are elite players. Okay. Um, but, that, but like I said, Chris Haskell, Boise State University, he looks at it as, I want to have as many kids as part of this program as I could possibly have. Here at UCI, what I see, I walk into the arena, it's not 12, there's the 12 chairs in the back, but it's also with the casual gameplay going on around it. You've got all those extra chairs for those kids to come in and play and be part of it, so. Next question was somewhere in the middle. 
Kind of similar, just to shade it just a little bit, how are you leveraging or directing the, the students to leverage the skills that they learn in esports, not just as players, but as all the other things associated with it, and the social skills and the collaborative skills, and then not just for where they will then go to college, but how they use those skills to go through college and then apply it to the rest of their lives, beyond just, hey, it gets me out of the Wisconsin Parkside, uh, but, but to the rest of their lives, wherever that might take them. I, I want to share a very personal story that happened today. And this wouldn't have happened without our high school esports program. And this wouldn't have happened if I took the steps to say, I'm gonna create a Discord server and put all five of our high schools together with, with our general managers and with myself in there. In our general chat area where all the high school students can, can put whatever messages, somebody pinged me and said, hey, can you, can you contact me? And I reached out to that student and my first message told me, hey, you know, you can always just DM me. You don't have to you know, ping me on the general chat. And I actually, I said for, for, for your own, uh, for my own curiosity, I took your message down because it sounded pretty serious and you didn't want to share with everybody. So I took the message down. And the kid, was, the kid had had a mental breakdown the day before in school. And has a social worker at school, has a counselor, has a uh, uh, administrator who's well aware of the situation. But they reached out to me for whatever reason that is. And if we didn't have this, esports, and we didn't have these connections that we're making with kids, and to me, it's, it's not the social skills so much that are transferable, it's the connections that we're making to other people and something that is, that is deemed stereotypically antisocial. That child reached out to me in crisis today, and what I was able to do is turn around, make two phone calls to get people in touch with him, because he was home alone, and I didn't know what was gonna happen with that situation. But when you ask about the skills, in the, not to be hyperbolic, but what if that kid did not have me to reach out to? What would have been the next step? But now this child knows that there's a, there's a tribe, there's a network of people that they can rely on and call on. That to me is a bigger, when you've got kids in crisis, when you're dealing with a community like we're seeing where 60% of the adults have had at least one adverse childhood experience, which means they're probably passing it on to their kids as well too, to learn a skill as simple as asking for help is probably the most important skill that that child can learn. And going forward, everything else, you know, being able to communicate and collaborate and critically think, but just being able to ask for help is, and be vulnerable and feel safe is, is, I think that's the biggest skill that we're getting out of this, is making kids feel like that. Because as you know, we've got adults, we've got people every day who are not feeling comfortable doing that. Um, I think the, the general managers or the teachers play a huge role in that um, because by bringing esports into schools, we're able to validate that interest. So when you think about even being able to talk about, okay, what are my future opportunities with this? The teachers have kind of already caught up a little bit to speed on what's going on and, and the fact that they are being aspirational for something with their future. So I think that, that the way the general managers work with their students is super critical to that. Um, I think in NACEF, uh, we, we try to put together programs and opportunities for students so that they can validate these interests and also start learning and picking up those skills and practicing them and just exploring if it's something that they really enjoy. So um, one way we do that is through our Beyond the Game challenges and we are reworking those to be even more career focused than they already were intended. Um, but these are challenges that we put together such as, you know, put together a highlight reel of your team 
or put together a fundraiser for a charity and use esports as a platform for doing that. So then they're getting those event organizing skills, they're getting those broadcast techniques um, that, that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. So um, it's about giving them those opportunities, but then also having that honest conversation and saying, hey, you did this great video, you know, have you ever considered a career in being a producer? Or have you ever considered going to school to make your skills better? And so when we do that, then we're already getting those conversations started for them so that it's not that they're, you know, in their junior year, <coughs> June, and are about to apply for colleges in the fall and they don't know what they're going to do. Um, so that's one way. And then also we, we try to bring up like college opportunities in higher ed as much as we can as possible. Um, we've done streams on it. We've done like Discord server conversations about it. Um, I have had the pleasure of working in admissions at, uh, here at UCI. And so um, anytime I present to students and I go out there, I also bring up, hey, if you have any admissions questions, I probably can answer a lot of them. And it's just giving them access to people, whether it is their teachers, myself, our, our leadership, and then also just near peer mentors through our coaches and whoever they're working with on their school sites, those really can help uh, cultivate that, that next step that we want students to be thinking about now. Yeah. And then we have one here? Yes. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, how do you think esports is going to kind of, do you, or to what extent, I guess, do you think that esports is going to change the narrative, like what a high school scene looks like? little background. Um, I'm a second year in college, so two years ago I was in high school, and um, something that I was really interesting was that uh, Fortnite, though maybe some of the more serious gamers might have grown at it a little bit. Um, I, so I love these, Fortnite. I have so much fun. I'm just putting that out. I stink so bad, though. Interesting tipping point, where all of a sudden games weren't just being played by, you know, the nerdy kids, the like, you know, the skinny white kids who eat a lot of pizza and drink a lot of Mountain Dew, but it became these Kids like oh, like our homecoming king football quarterback got in trouble for playing Fortnite during class, which I just thought was very like was really crazy because I was a gamer, and now all these like stereotypically cool popular kids are gaming. Yeah. And then at our school rallies where we normally have games like capture the flag or tug of war or games where like you know people get to show strength, athleticism, speed, and like cheer on their classes, we started having Super Smash Bros being played at our school rallies. So do you think that esports is going to kind of change this narrative of like what's cool in school? Or do you think that it'll always be kind of for a different type of kids than traditional sports? I, I don't think it's unique to esports. I think it's 2019 and we're more and more learning every day that we need to just get rid of these implicit biases and opinions that we have about people. And we need to just embrace that if folks want to do whatever they want to do, as long as it's not harming those around them, then how can we empower them and use that for good? So uh, I personally don't think that it's unique to esports. And I think, um, you know, with gaming just being becoming a more mainstream form of entertainment, more mainstream doesn't mean that it wasn't huge before. Like folks were have always been knee deep in games, um, but it's just the bringing it into the school culture and not making it a taboo conversation about oh you know only nerds play Fortnite. Now it's like everyone plays Fortnite, and then now we can maybe get past the stigma that certain genders can't participate in certain activities either. So um, that's my little soapbox <coughs> moment. I'm sorry about that, but I think it's important that. I know, I know we're at 4.30, and, and, oh, but I saw, yeah. if anybody's cool to hang out, I'm willing to, to delve into that question, and I know there was another question in back, so if you're cool to hang out, if you want to get up and leave, that's fine, until totally I get it. Um, but I want to dive into that question a little bit, because the first reason that I, I have five reasons why we do eSports. The number one reason 
is redefine athletic culture. And I want to talk personally about that for a second. Um, I uh, played high school football, so I'm six foot two, about 260 now. I played rugby. I played rugby for over 20 years, so I'm, I'm into athletic culture. Um, but I played high school football, and I was 300 pounds at the time. My dad played at the University of Notre Dame. My grandfather played for the New York Giants. Football was expected. Little did I know what I was doing to myself, right? So if you see me, I'm sitting here kind of moving my neck. I still have a neck injury that I'm still dealing with now, 20-something uh, years later. And I'm not suggesting that football is going to go away. Um, in fact, I said when I was in Texas, I had said high schools need to get out of the business of high school football and let it become a club sport, let it be something that, and I said that in Texas. Well, again, I'm six foot two, two sixty. Uh, but the, um, the, the bigger impact was my friend Kevin Sir, who uh, lives in Seattle now, um, is a local musician and artist, deals with migraines, headaches, uh, concussion symptoms every day. He, there's a when I give a presentation, I have a photo of his senior year football helmet that was white and the stickers were all brand new on it and it is just shredded by the end of the season. Um, Purdue University has done amazing studies on, on brain and brain activity and one of the ones that they did was they, they did the McCutcheon High School football team kids. They did a baseline study of their brain activities and then they followed them through the football season and then if they got a concussion in the season, they pulled them out of the study. So they removed them from the study. So the only kids whose brains they were looking at at the end of the season, three months after the season, and six months after the season, were kids who had sub normal subconcussive hits. What they found was after six months, even after six months, those kids were still exhibiting brain trauma from the football season. Now, here's the challenge I say to high schoolers. We're here to develop young minds. And on the other hand, we're okay with football. And it even it goes back to that question of violence, you know. Some violence obviously is okay because we'll put kids into a thousand dollars worth of equipment and tell them to go out on the field and hit somebody, all for a game. But when that game involves us on a computer, that's that becomes taboo. It's a it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And I know that I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Um, but again, I feel like high schools should get out of the football business. Uh, we have Pop Warner, we have Kiwis, and we can have a uh, club level and let the clubs handle it, let the parents make the decisions that way, and let the schools get out of it. Because again, it flies in the face of what we're trying to do in schools. Now, I will say, though, just like there's kids who need esports, there's kids who need football. And there's kid that there's every, every kid needs their tribe. Again, I'm not, I just want. <laughs> I, I, I know I go back and forth on this football thing again because again it's so personally impacted in my family, but you know, I, I know that there's kids who need it, so I accept that. So thank you again everyone for attending this session. Um, we'll be sticking around to have conversations, but I believe next uh, are the poster sessions taking place and that'll be right upstairs in the gallery. So thank you again. Thank That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. 
The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash TAO Esports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.